Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Istanbul Sour. Here today we are with Fauzi. Yes. Uh, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. It's so, a pleasure Fauzi, to be here. Yes. It's time for introduction. Why don't you introduce yourself to us? Um, okay, so my name is Fauzi. Um, I was originally born in Gaza, Palestine. Um, I immigrated to the United States, well, with my family, obviously, um, at the age of two. And um, I was raised in Orlando, Florida. I spent around um, probably like majority of my life there uh, up until like 19 years old. Um, after I was uh, after I graduated from high school, I decided to join the uh, Army National Guard. Uh, I spent six years in the National Guard, um, and also during that time, I moved to California at around the age of 19. Um, and I've been living there ever since, um, up until recently. Um, now I'm 25, and I've been living in Istanbul for the past year. Uh, I'm looking to, you know, explore different cultures and see more of the world. Great, wonderful. So let's start from childhood. <coughs> uh, the, you first moved to Orlando. How was the experience? Um, it was it was interesting. Um, you know, Orlando and Florida in general is not the most diverse state in the United States. Um, you know, it's more like white majority and um, a lot of uh, of the older population in the United States goes there to retire. Oh, um, really? Yeah. Is so, it nice? No, it's just because, you know, mainly they go there for the weather. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people from like northern United States, they, you know, once they reach that retirement age, mm -hmm. uh, they're looking to escape to warmer weather and, you know, escape like the harsh winters of, of the north nice. so yeah totally makes sense yeah so <clears throat> um yeah you know growing up there um i want to say like my experience in school was a little bit you know outside of the normal um especially with my background um you know like there were times where in order to fit in i wouldn't use my name i would go by like an american name and um you know it wasn't until maybe like middle school or high school where I accepted, you know, my background and my name and I stopped using like that American name. And I was like, you know, I don't care if people mispronounce my name. I'm just going to make them say it like I don't care. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> and then, you know, it was it was a little bit hard to fit in with with certain groups because you talk about American school experience, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and this is what high school, middle school? Um, It was it was pretty consistent throughout the whole period up until high school mm -hmm. um you know by the time i reached high school <clears throat> i had like a small group of friends that we just stuck together yeah. throughout the throughout the rest of the high school time um but in elementary and middle school you know that was still like me still trying to find out like who i was and yeah. build my identity um and it was kind of like hard to like fit in with certain groups because Get it. you know like you don't really fit into their culture so that's what i was going to ask you to be yeah. honest uh what was the first experience what was the first um weird experience you had that you were like yeah okay there there i'm not fitting in this place um do you remember any specific memory of of the time yeah i remember it's usually with my teachers you know they oh really not the students teachers yeah, that I remember the most. Um, it was with teachers, like the way they pronounce my name, the way they kind of like butcher it. And then I remember I, it was in middle school where during 9-11, um, uh, one of the teachers kind of had like a meltdown 
I, I don't remember it too much, but she kind of started having like a, a meltdown about like 9-11. And I swear, like she slammed her hands on my desk. Really? Yeah. Like, I, I don't remember the details too much, but that was the main thing I remember. Like the meltdown and her just slamming her hands on my desk out of all people. And I'm like, what's going on here? Like, this is a, a little weird. Um, Did you feel the pressure after 9-11? Because many immigrants in the United States, they they they're under heavy pressure of the media and the public, and and <clears throat> the the society was like, "You're responsible for this." Yeah, and that was like because during the time of crisis, everybody's looking for someone to blame. Yeah, and so how was the experience? But you did you feel under pressure? Um, well, you know, I was pretty young when it originally happened, but you know, every year they make a point to like. You know, never forget, never forget mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, growing up, uh, my mom, she wore the hijab. And, you know, during 9-11, like a day or two before and a day or two after, like we kind of wouldn't go out on purpose just in case. Mm -hmm. Because Florida is a more of like right-wing conservative state and you never know what might happen yeah you know? i understand i understand um <clears throat> what was the best experience now we talked about all the negative things let's talk about positive things as well what was the best experience you had in american school um <clears throat> honestly like probably when i got to high school okay. um i made you know like a good amount of friends playing um sports like i played soccer um and i got to know a lot of people from different backgrounds um like you know i had friends from like Asia, friends mm -hmm. from Latin America, Central mm -hmm. America, um, and just getting to know those kind of different backgrounds, it like kind of made me feel better because we all are, you know, not white and we all have differences among us and cultural differences. And so getting to experience, you know, the stuff that they've gone through while also relating that to my experiences, like it made me feel more comfortable. And, um, you know, I'm still friends with them to this day. And um, at the same time, <clears throat> you were working while getting your education you mm -hmm. were helping your parents mm -hmm. yeah so what about that yeah so um my parents um you know as immigrants they didn't really ha come to america with like you know a degree or like a you know reliable background mm -hmm. so they kind of had to work their way up and kind of do everything their own so when they first moved to the united states they started with like selling stuff at the flea market um and after that they made their own business um, for like cleaning houses um and then afterwards lastly they started their own catering business mm -hmm. so they would do like large events private parties stuff like that and um also they opened up a food truck oh nice <clears throat> yeah so what kind of food um just like mediterranean food okay yeah so like falafel shawarma um hummus stuff like that nice and it was it was pretty popular it was, it was you know it was like pretty successful and um yeah, uh, so throughout that whole time, I was helping them, um, you know, with, like, their catering orders. I would help with, like, prepping food, like, grilling, cutting chicken, like, all that kind of stuff. And then I would help, like, on their deliveries <clears throat> and also with the food truck. So I would go to them on these events mm -hmm. and um, I would basically, like, take orders or I would be inside of the truck, like, you know, prepping stuff as right. well. Um, so, yeah, like, I started Was it a fun experience working in a food truck? <clears throat> I mean, it, you were too young. I understand <laughs> that, but um, I, I don't know if it's like fun, but it's it definitely builds character, you know. Because I was pretty young and I didn't have experience talking right. to people really, and here I am, like 
working at these events where it's like pretty busy and you have a long line. Right, right. And you still have to talk to these people while taking their order. So, you know, there were times where I was pretty nervous, but, you know, I ended up getting over it. And, um, yeah, you know, it was, it was definitely like it built my character up. How many languages do you speak, by the way? Uh, just two. Yeah, I speak uh-huh. Arabic, but it's pretty like whitewashed. <laughs> you know, it's like that. I think it's pretty common for like my generation, I guess you could say, like who grew up in the United States um, to kind of lose touch with their their background like that. I see, I see. And then you went to high school. You started going to high school, right? Yeah. How was how was high school? It was it was fun. Um, you know, when I first started at freshman year, um, I still kind of had like that identity crisis, I guess you mm-hmm. could say. Like I didn't really know what I was doing mm-hmm. or who I was fitting in with. But, um, you know, as time went on, I slowly started to make more friends mm-hmm. um, after like playing sports and, you know, through my classes as well. Um, and yeah, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't like the best academic wise. And, um, you know, I wish like I would have taken it more seriously, but I feel like part of the reason was because I was like too busy, like helping my parents, like Mm -hmm. with their business. Um, so we never really had the opportunity to like get special tutoring or like for me to just sit home and like work for like hours, like on studying and like becoming better. Um, but you know, I still take responsibility for at the end of the day, like there are plenty of people who probably are in the same kind of situation and they still make it work. Um, but yeah, you know, it is what it is. Nice, nice. <laughs> uh, then you started, uh, you decided to, to join the National Guard. Yeah, so funny how I ended up doing that. I really had no intention of doing it. Um, Plus, can you please tell our audience what, what is National Guard? Because yeah. I guess many non-Americans don't know about it. So the United States military is broken up into quite a few branches now. <clears throat> so they have uh, the Air Force, the Navy, the Army, Marines. Space Force, obviously. Yeah, Space Force, <laughs> thanks to Donald Trump. Um, <laughs> and the Coast Guard. So pretty much, um, you know, the Coast Guard, they stay in the United States. They don't really go outside of America. They stay on, you know, the coasts and the water, stuff like that. Um, Marines and Army are pretty <clears throat> pretty much the same thing. Um, and then you have Navy and Air Force. But within these branches, they also have what they call active duty and reserves or National Guard. Um, active duty is like people who do it full time. So every mm-hmm. day, you know, they're on duty, um, you know, they get sent or they get stationed overseas, like in Germany, Japan, whatever, mm-hmm. um, or they get sent on deployments. That's to, normal duty, you said. Yeah, active okay. duty. Active duty. You know, they're the ones that get sent on deployments, stuff like that. Um, and then National Guard or reserves, it's more like part time. Mm-hmm. So after you complete your training, um, you do it like maybe once a week. Um, I mean, once a month. So you do like usually a two day drill on the weekend. And um, in the summers, you do like a more full time. You do like maybe between two to three weeks of just like continuous training. They okay. call that annual training. And what do, what do they do? Like uh, what is their job? Um, so it's pretty much just the same thing as active duty. It's like you have the same kind of jobs, but the only difference is you're doing it part time. Um, and also National Guard can get activated in their state. Yeah. So but Army cannot be activated in, in, in within the United States borders. Correct. But National Guard can. Exactly. Yeah. 
And um, yeah, so they can get activated for like emergencies. Like, for example, um, when I was living in California, I got activated like it feels like pretty much every year to help with the wildfires. Wildfires, so, Californian yeah. wildfires. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the wildfires in California in the summertime, uh, they get really bad and, you know, they can be like out of control. Uh, mm -hmm. at some point. So uh, I've been activated a couple times for that. And then also uh, there were some like protests and riots, I think around like 2018, 2019, um, I got activated for that as well. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that's pretty much like what the National Guard is. I see, I see. Yeah. Um, so um, let's, let's start from the training. I'm so curious, what's the training like, National Guard training? So yeah, um, basically the Army like active duty and national guard like they still go to the same kind of training mm -hmm. it the like the only difference is after you're done with that training you go your separate ways so mm -hmm. active duty goes to where they get stationed national guard they go back to their state so the training is the same thing um everyone gets a standard ba uh i think they call it basic training um i believe that one's like around eight weeks and that's where you like learn all the basics of like you know like shooting running, doing all the physical activities, um, like your uniform. Is it difficult? Um, it's not like too hard. It's just all, I feel like it's more mentally challenging mm -hmm. because, you know, during the whole time where you're going through all of this, um, they're encouraging you to basically quit. They want people who like can't mentally handle it to mm -hmm. just, you know, they want to like pick them out. I get it. I get it. Yeah. And then, so after the basic training, um, everyone goes to their specialized training. They call it um, AIT, Advanced Individual Training. And that's where you get trained on your job that you have chosen before, you know, when you originally signed the contract. Mm -hmm. I see, I mm -hmm. see. And what was your job? Mine was, um, they call it CBURN. It stands for- CBURN. Yeah, so it stands for Chemical, Biological, Radiological, and Nuclear Specialist. Wow, it, it sounds like Damn. a lot. But it's, so you were prepared for North Korean attack? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, it's like if I have to do if I have to do my job, it's gonna be a bad day. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so what is the training for nuclear war? Is uh, there any training for nuclear war, like preparation not, kind of a thing? Not so much the prepare preparing for it. It's preparing for like the aftermath. Prayers. Yeah, you know, like. You know what to do, like how to decontaminate people and equipment and vehicles, how to set up like safety zones, um, basically how to respond to like is those it a kind unit? of attacks. A unit? Yeah, like is that a unit? Like, so yeah, the unit that I was in was actually uh, a unit just for that. Just for that. So yeah, and that's pretty rare. Like normally they don't have too many of those, just because. You know, like I said, we don't do our job too often, so they don't need a lot of us. Right, makes sense. So my unit was like one of the few, but on top of that, additionally, like every unit outside of us would have like maybe two or three soldiers who specialize in our job. I get it. You know, to it. like train and kind of like yeah, yeah, prepare. Yeah, I understand, I understand. So yeah. That was, there, was there any time that you guys felt like we are so close to nuclear war? Because I remember there was a time that uh, there was this uh, discussions between mm -hmm. Donald Trump and Kim Jong-un yeah. and uh, the America was scared of a possible nuclear threat. Yeah, yeah, there was, um, and it was during that time. And I think if I remember correctly, they accidentally sent out like a notification to people who were living in Guam. 
Okay. That there's a nuclear, I, I think it was Guam or Hawaii or both. Okay. And they sent out a notification on text message, like, there's a nuclear attack coming. Everyone, like, find shelter. Are you but it was, like, serious? a mistake. Yeah. Wow. So it, it was pretty like, scary experience, I can imagine, for <laughs> what them. Did people do, yeah. Yeah. It's like, there's nothing you can do. Like, just running yeah. around. Like. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I see. Yeah. I see. So uh, then moving to, yeah, we have a note from the, what is that? Oh, yeah. 2018 Hawaii false missile uh, alert. Yeah. I see. So uh, what about, have you ever been deployed out of United States or it was all inside the United States? No, I was lucky enough to not get deployed outside of the state. Um, Wonderful. But funny enough, um, so originally I signed my contract in Florida um, and that was where my National Guard unit would be. And as soon as I got back from my basic and um, advanced training mm -hmm. and I got back to the unit, they were like, oh, um, you know, your unit just got deployed to Africa, mm -hmm. to Djibouti. And Ooh, I know where that is. And they were like, do you want to go? I was like, um, you know what? I think I'm good. I'll pass. <laughs> um, and yeah, so after that, um, you know, I ended up transferring my units to California when I moved. Um, and, you know, there was always talk of like, yeah, we're going to get deployed next year or the year after to never happen, you know, this place or that place. Um, luckily it never happened, but Great. you know, like I was, when I first signed my contract, I was like six years, like I'm almost positive that there's like a high chance that I'll probably get deployed. And a lot of my friends that, you know, I went to basic training with, they did end up getting deployed. So I yeah. had friends who got deployed to Iraq and Syria and some even got sent out to like Ukraine before all this stuff happened. Oh, to like you know, <laughs> that was like classified information. The <laughs> <laughs> U.S. Army is in Ukraine. <laughs> no, yeah, but it it was weird. Um, before any of no one knew what was gonna happen happened. Yeah, but um, yeah, yeah, they were yeah. out there like yeah, yeah, training, training NATO doing, training, yeah, 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 like joint training exercises, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. whatever. Yeah, and um. Yeah, luckily I spent my six years without getting deployed, Great. and I got to stay in California. Yeah, and going to the Californian wildfire, how was the experience? Because we always see it on the news, and I guess many people do not really understand or feel how scary it can be, the wildfire. Uh, so how was the experience being there, helping out? Uh, honestly, it's, it's really shocking. Uh, it's really, it's crazy to see how powerful and how devastating that the fires can be. Um, a lot of the times we would show up like after it's already done its damage, and we would basically, you know, look for survivors, set up like quarantine zones, um, and also like go through the rubble. So there were times where I would, you know, me and the rest of my, uh, you know, I don't know what you want to call them, like soldiers, coworkers, whatever. Um, we would be going through houses that had been burnt down looking for, you know, like remains, valuables, stuff like that. People? Yeah. Did the or, place been evacuated long, long before? No, the, no. So no, there were people of, there. Yeah. So you're looking for like bodily Bodies remains. Like stuff, there yeah. were times where the only last remains you would see of a person would be like a piece of their bone hip. Oh my gosh. And because that's how strong the fire is. How was the psychological experience of that? It was pretty crazy. Um, you know, you're, you're walking through these, you know, before it, the fires that happened, um, the most, the one that I remember the most was in Northern California yeah. and it was in a very rich area, you know? So you have these houses that are three stories, four stories, and you can see that they had an elevator inside of their house. And the only thing left of their house is two iron bars that was used for the elevator. 
all so gone. everything else is everything just burned done like just ground wow and you're going through the ashes looking for like any signs of human remains or any like gold or like any um also you see like the safe boxes that they keep personal items in or whatever so those are the only things that you see left of these wow. houses and um yeah it was it was pretty um like eye-opening yeah have you ever had any near-death experience um no no while being on the wildfire and stuff um actually you know what one time we had set up our camp and um you know normally when we set up our our areas it's like an isolated area mm -hmm. like in in nature so um we we had set everything up all of our tents all of our equipment and next thing we know there's a fire burning and coming towards us and it's literally maybe like within 200 300 meters, meters? Yeah. wow and you see Too it like close. yeah you see it pushing towards us and everyone had to evacuate immediately and just like everyone was running, grabbing all this stuff and just throwing it into the back of trucks and like basically trying Any to- Any casualty? No, um, someone did fall and like, you know, break a bone. But other okay. than that, like, no. I see, I see, but wow. Crazy, crazy experiences. Yeah. yeah. So then, um, then riots. Mm -hmm. I believe you're talking about Black Lives Matter yeah. protest, mm -hmm. right? So were you deployed at that time? Yeah, so we got deployed for that. Um, I think it was around maybe like three weeks where we were, you know, deployed. Um, and where were you at that time? So we were in Los Angeles, um, in an area called Santa Monica, and um, yeah, that's that's you know a lot of the protests were going on down there, and the area we got deployed to was just like a city hall building for like I don't know like the mayor or something, mm -hmm. and there wasn't really anything going on there. We we're just kind of just standing around. So you didn't experience anything crazy. No, no, uh, we didn't really see much. I think most of the action was happening like in the more central area. Yeah. But, you know, when we got activated, it was like almost every National Guard unit in, in the state. So there was, you know, military all over the city, military and police. I see. Yeah. And and I guess that one very shocking thing for the world we were watching outside of the United States was Capitol building uh, when people attacked Capitol building. Mm -hmm. Did you remember that time? Yeah, yeah. Were you, were you part of the National Guard at the time? Yeah, I was. Um, and it was it was pretty interesting to see that happening like on TV. How did you, how, how was the feeling among the National Guard members? Well, you know, being in California, like I don't think we were worried too much about it unless it like, you know, blew up into a whole like coop. Yeah. yeah. But there were, you know, the states closer to, to Washington, D.C. were getting activated. Um, wow. Yeah, but, you know, seeing that happen, it was... Uh, no, something that you don't really think you would see in your lifetime, but <laughs> totally, that's how I was feeling at the time. Yeah, but you know, I guess it happened, and I was just you know keeping up with the news and seeing if it escalates or what else could happen. But um, yeah, it was interesting. That was that was that was really interesting and really crazy. Like especially after math news when I, when I was reading, uh, a guy apparently stole Nancy Pelosi's laptop and tried to sell it to Russian embassy. And the Russian embassy contacted U.S. government. <laughs> what is your citizen doing, bro? <laughs> just, oh my God. Come on, man. <laughs> you can't just do that. So um, now, uh, when did you end the army thing? So I that finished. Was six years ended. Yeah. So I signed my contract from 2014 until 2020. That was such a peaceful period you had in the army. Yeah. Nothing I mean, really happened. No. Um, 
you know, just the fires and that protest. Um, we did get to go on some like pretty cool training. Okay. Though. So uh, there were some times where it was like pretty cool, pr uh, pretty interesting experience. Um, yeah, tell us one of your very interesting army experience. So one of the first ones, one of, one of my favorite things I got to do was in basic training, you get to uh, throw a grenade. <laughs> and that's like the only time in your life you'll probably get to do it. Um, <laughs> I mean, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, it was that was really cool. It was fun. Um, it was it was a lot heavier than I expected. Really? Like I, I thought it would be like throwing a baseball, <laughs> but it was much heavier. Call of Duty, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You see them throwing it across the map like it's nothing. Yeah. So when I threw, it, I was like, "Whoa, this is pretty heavy." And um, it's cool, you know, feeling that explosion or whatever. But um, yeah, after that. My next, you know, favorite time or training would be, um, it was towards the end of my contract, mm -hmm. I think around 2019 or 20. Um, and we got to go to a FEMA training center in Alabama. Um, and basically FEMA is like, um, like the government's like response to emergencies, like, you know, like Hurricane Katrina oh, yeah. or like any natural disasters, stuff like that. And we got to go to this training center where... We handled like live um, biological agents and like um, like nerve agents. So, you know, like anything like anthrax or um, what else was there? I don't really remember. I, I forgot one of the names. It starts like with a V. But um, yeah, basically, if you touch this stuff or inhale it or anything, like you are most likely going to you're going to die. Wow. So it was really fun. So we got to use it like hands-on experience. We got to train with it. We got to use a lot of like high-tech equipment and go through like real life scenarios where, you know, we don't really get to do that too much just because of funding and also like, you know, you don't really get to do your job. So yeah, this is the only kind of it. training where it's like as real as it gets. I get it. Yeah. Now, as a person who wore United States Army uniform, you serve the country. Um, what do you th what is what is it that you want to see change in America? Um probably just I mean there's there's a lot that There's a lot, right? Yeah, you know, like it's just I think the m main thing is the interest of the country and the government. You know, the government's interests are never the people, but more so like corporations and making them happy. You know, they're wouldn't need to be so many people serving in the military or, you know, going overseas to fight if it wasn't for the country being interested in, you know, oil or poppy fields or something like that. You know, it's not like we're sending people to go die over honorable causes or something justified. So, you know, I think that would, that would be something that we need to stop going overseas and getting involved in so many conflicts and just focus on improving the country within and making it better for people because you know it's like the richest country to ever exist basically and you know you should be able to provide so much more for your people mm -hmm. you know you shouldn't have a homeless crisis where people aren't able to live or you know have a house um or where you have people that are so heavily ad addicted to drugs and opioids because of what society has pushed onto them you know you should be able to offer like health care and education to your people when you're the richest country to ever exist yeah. and you have endless resources right so i feel like if it would be if the country would be able to focus on itself more then it would be able to do a lot better for the world sure
Thank you. Nice words. And the gun? The guns? Yeah, that, that's that's a tricky situation, you know, because I think they do need to put some more regulations on it because, you know, I've seen plenty of videos where there are children under the age of 18. They go to, like, these gun shows, um, and they're able to buy a gun. No questions asked. They're able to buy a gun within two hours. And these gun shows, it's different from going to a gun show as compared to going to an actual gun store. What's a gun show? So they'll do like an event, maybe like a three-day event, and it's almost like, um, you know, like tents, and everyone has their tables, and they're displaying guns or whatever. And so I think the technicality with that is like when you buy a gun at the gun show, you don't have to run as deep of a background check or anything like that. So you're able to buy like more like fast process kind of thing. Um, but when you go to like an actual gun store, an established location, they have to do a, you know, a deeper background check. I think it takes maybe like a couple days, mm -hmm. I think like three days, but right. I'm not quite sure. But, um, you know, it shouldn't be so easy for people to go and buy them and then turn around and use them, you know, like in public spaces. More regulations stuff. needed. Yeah. But also at the same time, it's like so many Americans own guns. Like it's, it's hard to like combat, combat it really. Yeah. It's quite interesting. I was thinking the other day, like um, most developed countries, they have this um, inner reforms every once in a while. You see, they, they change things. They change system. They change point of views. They change perspective. They change laws. Um, they take steps to uh, reform things. But has there ever been any reform in America in the last 50 years? Like a major reform? Because I, I mean... Uh, I'm 30, and, and this is the same America I remember the whole time. Um, honestly, no. Like, they're, I guess the only thing that you could probably say would be maybe Obamacare, but I really don't think that's of any use at all. Um, <laughs> yeah, and the Patriot Act, Patriot Act after 9-11, uh, yeah. basically giving the United States, you know, free, like, open market to go spy on its citizens in the name of combating terrorism. The NSA crisis. Yeah. So, and then, yeah, so it, it's like every year, or not every year, but every election, you see presidential, presidential nominees running on issues and promising all this stuff. But first of all, when they get to office, it, none of it ever happens. Um, they still just do, like, corporate bidding. Um, and if anything, they put less regulations on things you know um and the way i've seen it like especially the past couple of years they're not going forward they're going backwards they overturned roe versus wade you know limiting the access of abortions mm -hmm. over over like religious views and i feel like that goes against you know separating religion and the state secularism exactly you know, and if they continue on this track, you know, next they're going to try and stop, like, people getting access to, like, um, birth control or, like, you know, condoms oh, or whatever yeah. because, you know, they, they have plenty of reasons. But w one of the main ones I've heard is, like, you know, there needs to be more white babies. The white race is in danger. Damn. So, you know, oh it's going God, man. yeah, it's going down a <laughs> Intense, dark path. Yeah. <laughs> and the, like this isn't like some conspiracy. Like there are people, you know, serving in Congress and Senate that say, "Oh, white babies are in danger. The white race is in danger." So like, Is it, it really? 
I mean... I can explain it if you want. Yeah, please, go ahead. The the theory is uh, white replacement theory, Mm -hmm. which they say that because the other races, and when they mean other races, they also count mixed people in there, are reproducing too much. The white population is getting replaced. Tucker Carlson, for example, Mm -hmm. just like full out put it on Fox News. Nope, no questions asked. (laughs) Shout out to Tucker. Yeah, he got fired from Fox News. Oh, yeah, I know. I was like... That's interesting because that's like their their poster child, and the facial expressions he makes while he's talking just they they're so crazy. Like I can't believe he's being serious. Marketing, you know that's. But you know what? Um, speaking of like being serious, like he'll say one thing on on the news, and then they recently found like text messages between him and like his coworkers and stuff talking about like how stupid people are for believing the stuff that they say. Yeah. So it's like, that's like America kind of learned after Trump. I guess America kind of learned that bad publicity is good publicity is is real strategy. It's it's very shocking for me seeing an American politician look at the camera, calling some countries or or calling people names or or you know just humiliating races and being openly sexist and racist. And some people are like, hell yeah, let's vote for this guy. Yeah, and I'm like, what's going on, guys? Like, am I crazy or what? No, they say the reason that they love him so much is because he says what they're too afraid to say. They they always say, oh, Trump says it how it is. You yeah, I, I guess that personally, my personal understanding of the situation is that it seems like America, American people, they're thirsty for a reform, for a big change. And America, American political structure failed to deliver this, this reform, this change. And Trump found a loophole, found the bug, and is coming with, with this one thing, I'm going to destroy this structure, I'm going to give you something new. And since there is no alternative, there is no positive alternative to this big reform, people say, okay, let's go with Trump, because I hate classical political structure of the United States. Hey, like, you really think he's going to go serve the interests of, you know, the working class? Like, no, he doesn't care. He is going to go make cut regulations on companies, make it easier for corporations to get away with whatever they want. And, um, you know, the guy himself has filed like a whole bunch of different bankruptcies for his businesses, all his failed enterprises of Trump University, Trump Stakes, mm-hmm. Trump Casino, all of it is is garbage. And yeah. Um, yeah, he really just knew how to work the media. Yeah, yeah. Now, at some point you decided to move to Istanbul. What was that about? <laughs> so, um, you know, ever since I was probably like in high school, I never really, you know, saw myself staying and living in America. I just wanted to move elsewhere. Um, and I don't know, for some reason, I always thought that Europe would be cool. Um, I felt like it had a little bit more culture, um, a little bit more like stuff to do, stuff to see. Um, you know, I always thought maybe somewhere like Netherlands would be cool, All right. you know, Spain, Portugal, something like that. Um, I never really thought of Turkey or, or Istanbul, you know, like it wasn't until I came here on a vacation, um, one year before I moved and I got to see it firsthand. I was like, this is an amazing country with lots of amazing history, culture, amazing people, um, and great food. You know, one of my favorite things is walking throughout the city and you see the old 
walls of Istanbul or, or oh, yeah, the yeah. old the walls. Castles and stuff. Yeah, and I'm just like, that's, that's amazing to see. Like you're walking in like this mega city and you see these walls from like hundreds of years ago right, that right. Was, yep. played such an important part in history. That, that was like something I really loved. Yeah, really yeah. Cool. Once I was once I was in a restaurant, we were having a our table was um, right next to one of these walls, and uh, I asked the owner. The restaurant the owner said, "Like this is um, an Ottoman palace wall." And I was like, "Wow, I'm having my <laughs> meal next to the you know a very old wall, <laughs> historical." Yeah. Uh, so when was the first time you felt that I need to move to Istanbul? I mean, what happened? Um, honestly, when I went back home, I started just thinking about it more and more. I was like, you know, like I originally I kind of thought like, you know, I want to set a goal by like 2024 to like maybe move there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just the more I stayed home and like after, um, you know, like COVID and the lockdown, I thought about it more and more. Right. And I was like, I don't think I can bear to live another year in America, like especially with like the politics going on, like. It's just in your face 24-7. Everything is politicized. Yeah, Trump, Biden, this, that. It's in your face 24-7. And it just gets stressful. You get fed up. You don't want to see it anymore. And um, yeah, so I just started thinking of any possible way I can I can get to what I want. And you know, and also the cost of living in Los Angeles. You were oh my God, it. yeah. It's insane. It's absolutely insane. You know, um, most Americans don't have enough saved up to afford like a $300 emergency bill, you know, like car repair or going to the hospital, like something like that can, you know, really make it difficult for them to survive. I see. Los Angeles uh, prices increased and it's very expensive to live in Los Angeles. Now you mentioned that it costs um, annually 100,000 K. Yeah. That was wrong. 100,000 K is <laughs> it's like double. Yeah. yeah. So Los Angeles is expensive. What's going on in Los Angeles? Oh, man. Um, there's probably a lot of different reasons, but, um, you know, th- it's just been on this upward trajectory of just nonstop rise on the cost of living, you know, um, even for education. You know, I, I saw that I think uh, for a four year university, it's going to cost you like $25,000 a year for your degree. Wow. Compare that to probably like, you know, back in the 1970s, I think it probably cost you maybe like less than $1,000 a year. Less than $1,000. So, what was the minimum wage at that time and what's the minimum oh, wage now? Um, federally, it was the minimum wage hasn't changed. It's been $7.25 for the federal government. But by state, like the state has a power to change that wage. I don't know what it was like, you know, back in the 70s in California. But right now, the minimum wage is like $15, which if you're working even two jobs, you know, trying to work as much as you can on minimum wage, there's no way you would be able to be able to live in California on that kind of wage. I see. I understand. Now, again, coming back to Istanbul, um, the, the, the place you decided to, to settle down. Um, so what about Turkish culture you like? Um, I like the hospita- hospitability. Uh, hospitality? Hosp- yeah, hospitality. The people are very welcoming. Um, you know, even though I don't speak Turkish, you know, and most Turkish people don't speak too much English, but they still figure out a way to, like, make things work. You know, like, you know, funny enough, last night, my Metro card wasn't working. And um, I was putting in the, the dollar bill 
I just pulled it out from the ATM and I was putting it into the machine and it just spit it right back out to me. I walked to every single, um, you know, machine uh, and none of it worked. I, every time it would just spit out the bill right back to me. Um, and then this uh, Turkish guy came and started helping me and he basically explained to me that the card had like run out of its monthly fees. Like okay. I guess there's a limit to how much I can reload it every month. And um, yeah, he explained that to me and he helped me basically activate a new Istanbul card. Wow. And he nice. took, it took him probably like, you know, five, 10 minutes to do all of that for me and help me with it. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really expect that at all. You know, nice. and another time I was on the Metro and, you know, same thing. The bill wasn't going in. It was like a $10 lira bill. And um, the guy took out his own money and gave it to me instead. And he took the bill that wasn't working. Nice. And I feel like, that kind of like <clears throat> these the, the small little gestures, yeah, 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 yeah. Would, you would never see them in America. Right, right. And I feel like American society is just so much more individualistic. You know, you see oh, yeah. it all the time, like on subways or in like public events where someone is, something is happening to them, you know, whether they're falling down or they're getting in a fight. You, no one does anything. They just pull out their phones and start recording. They could care less of what's going on. Yeah. Yeah, that's like the certain there's certain features with uh, individualist society that I guess um, I mean, <clears throat> individual freedom uh, is increased. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, people have uh, all the privacy and personal space they, they want. Um, <coughs> but but also they will have they will be alone w during a crisis, as mm -hmm. you mentioned, in a collective uh, structure of identity of society. Um, you have this this collective group of people that they want to have the same identity. So because they they want they are pushing for the to to make sure they keep this uh, same equal group collective identity among them. Um, you will not feel very much free individually, yeah. and you will not have so much personal space. But at the same time, there are always people there to help you. Exactly. I mean, you can never be really <clears throat> hungry in Turkey. They always feed you. Yeah. That's one of the things about this this country. Turkish food? Yeah. Um, Turkish food is, it's great. I love it. And um, <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know. Like, you. Yeah. No <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Just. Bozzy was like, what no, the hell? No, bro? The, you were talking about that. And no, the question. Yeah, the, it wasn't even a question. You just said Turkish food. And I'm like, do I finish it <laughs> off or what do I do? <laughs> um, no, but Turkish cuisine, it's really, it's amazing. And um, every, you know, region of Turkey has their own specialty. Oh, yeah. Um, I think my favorite, I really love Monte. Monta. It's delicious. Nice. Um, especially, you know, putting yogurt on top and oh, yeah. the pepper flakes. Turks love putting yogurt on top of everything. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it can't go they wrong. They love yogurt. It's, it's good. Good stuff. Vegan yogurt. I love it. Bizim kameraman. Vegan. Yeah, also, Turkish breakfast, top tier. Probably, like, top Top Turkish three. breakfast is wonderful. Yeah. I love Turkish breakfast. It's amazing. Um, and yeah, also, you know, there's a lot of foods that I kind of recognize, you know, growing up, you know, in an Arabic household, you know, like yeah. um, stuffed grape leaves and dolma in general. Oh, yeah. Salma. Delicious. Yeah. Some of my favorites. And they, they do it really well here as well. Um, kebab, of course. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, my only, my only, I guess complaint would be for a donar 
um, you know, I like it with a little bit more flavors, I guess you could say, like compared to like what they have in like Berlin, they have like Berlin style donar where it's like, mm-hmm. it has a whole bunch of different kind of like toppings and sauces and ingredients. Um, you know, where here I've noticed it's much more focused on like the meat quality, which I totally understand. Um, you know, it's just like meat and the onion, tomato yeah. and like some yeah, you know, yeah. salt, yeah. pepper, whatever. That's my only complaint, but... Um, Do you know what it means, Donar? No. It took like three years for me to learn. Donmek, it's turning. Mm-hmm. So Donar means a kebab that is turning. <laughs> That's basically what it means. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean... <laughs> Fun fact about Donar. <laughs> because when I learned it, I was like, yeah, it makes sense. <laughs> because every time you say like Donio... Don kind of a thing, <laughs> and one time I was like, Donar kebab, Donar donio, evet ya donio. I was like, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, we had with Fauzi, we had also a Rocky experience. We had Mehan experience. Yeah. We had the uh, home Rocky table experience. So please analyze the Rocky experiences. We honestly, had. that's probably one of my favorite things. Now, um, it was amazing. Uh. Amazing experience. It's very, very close experience with, you know, close group of friends. And you really get to know, you know, everyone at the table oh, yeah. while sharing it over like a delicious meal and, you know, a delicious drink as well. Yeah. And um, it was my first time trying it here uh, in Istanbul. And so Did you like Raku now? Yeah, definitely. And I like it, especially, you know, you mentioned you don't really get too much of a hangover the next day. I oh, wake up yeah. feeling perfectly fine. <laughs> yes. I'm like, I'm ready to do that again. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. And the Mehana, uh, it was great. You know, got to try a whole bunch of di- small dishes and share them with everyone. Um, it was delicious. Nice. Uh, any favorite meze? Um, I really like that that shrimp plate that, that you ordered. Uh, uh Teriyande karides or karides kubach. It's it's shrimp uh, and butter, and and it's it's actually boiling in what in in butter the shrimp, and they're serving it hot on the table, and you have it with raku. What's up, brother? Why are you looking? Because I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm messing I with brother. I'm messing with brother right now. Yes. So, uh, can you say anything in Turkish? Did you learn anything? Honestly. I mean, just random... Don't be afraid of making mistakes. <clears throat> just random words here and there. That like just what? like completely random. Um, you know, it's funny, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I've been saying yakshamlar to people at the most incorrect times ever, bro. <laughs> like, so like I, thought, I thought it meant just like goodbye. And yeah. <laughs> so I would go to the gym and I'd finish my workout. And this is like middle of the day, maybe like 2 p.m. <laughs> And as I'm leaving the gym, I'm saying this to the guy at the check-in office. I'm like, all right, Yakshamlar. <laughs> and I, I come to realize that that's completely wrong. I'm supposed to be saying gule gule. Instead, that would be more appropriate. And I was like, wow, um, that's embarrassing. <laughs> um, yeah, so, you know, random words like that. Um, and also, um, you live in Beliktuzu right now, and you have a thing with Metrobus, I guess. How's Metrobus? Um, you know, okay, public transportation here is like <laughs> top tier. I really love it. And, um, you know, coming from a city like Los Angeles, where our public transportation is garbage, um, like literally garbage, uh, no one ever takes it. And if you do, you're at like high risk of being harassed by like 
homeless person or someone on drugs or whatever. Is that legit? Like, if you get on a public transportation in Los Angeles, it's not really safe. Not at all. And especially at okay, night. This is a note for everyone who want to visit Los Angeles. Uh, avoid public transportation, yeah, maybe. Don't, maybe. Don't think that you can go to Los Angeles and maybe walk, walk around or use public transportation. No, you need to rent a car, 100%. Rent a car, drive your car. Yeah, and um, even Uber? drive. Uber, yeah, but it's expensive. You know, I yeah. took a Uber from the airport to my house. It was maybe like less than one hour away. I paid one hundred fifty dollars. Wow, wow. Yeah. But um, yeah, Metrobus. You were saying, yeah. Um, you know, going such a long distance, it does make you a little bit tired. Um, but and it's always very busy. But you know, I think it's great to have such great tra- public transportation. Yeah, and different kinds you know you have the metro bus you have the marmarai you have oh, yeah. all the underground metros you ferry. have ferry you have different kinds of buses as well outside of the metro bus so it makes it very easy for you to be able to get anywhere you want yeah. without a car you know in america that's almost impossible yeah, everything yeah. is revolved around having a car so if you don't have a car it's going to be hard for you to go to work go to school anything mm-hmm. like that yeah yeah and um, what about the what about the experience feeling um, crossing the bridge from Europe to Asia from Asia to Europe because that's one of the things we get to to live every day in Istanbul yeah. is crossing over continents from Europe to Asia from Asia to Europe yeah how's the experience honestly I never get tired of it every time I <laughs> I'm I'm on the bus like I just stare out the window like I can't stop looking I'm like it's just such an amazing view such so enriching you know like and to know like the significance of like this small piece of land and this canal and everything it's just like so much has happened in this water crossing between asia to europe and to be on like a bus just going through it's it's pretty cool and you know something i'll never get tired of nice nice same here same here um, thank you for all the answers and all the things you shared with us today on on this show um any last message for our audience? <clears throat> um, no, I mean, you know, I'm just sharing my experience. I mean, you know, maybe I'm a little bit biased and I have, you know, more different views on the world than others might. Um, you know, I, all I can say is, you know, you would just have to go experience it for yourself. But just don't be surprised when you don't find it to be what you expected it to be. You know, um, a lot of... America is very good at sending the message that America is the greatest. It's a you know place for democracy, freedom, and enjoy the most amazing things in life in America um, and the American dream. But honestly, it's um, not what it seems, to say the least. I see. Um, and you know, yeah, that's that's just Do pretty you much. Say a Turkish goodbye to our audience. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah gula gula yeah. <laughs> nice one thanks everyone please contact us info at me to talk about cafe subscribe comment like or don't um see you around bye, bye.